Well, welcome back to Talking with Tech, presented by Speech Science. I am joined here by my friend for the first time in a while, Mr. Chris Bugay. How are you? So great to be back. Yeah, exciting. You're a busy man. Well, I think the reason we uh, have a hard time catching up is because of the time zone difference, you know? Yep, that's it. That's that definitely makes a difference. And then, I, of course, I also know that you're deep in writing a book right now, right? Yeah, the book is in the copy editing stages, so uh, it should be coming out in April. We're putting it all together now, so the content's done. That's great. Well, I look forward to hearing more about it. Um, you know, obviously, it's focused on AT, which is going to be uh, something huge for for our audience. And then I'm joined, as always, by my friend Rachel Madel. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm I'm good. Are are the uh, the dust clouds dying down out there for you? Yes, finally. Um, although I just read actually in Eagle Rock, which is, you know, close to LA and within Los Angeles County, there was a fire last night. So it's like we thought we were safe and we just aren't. Well, you can have some of our rainy 32 degree weather here in Portland. I'll, uh, oh, I'll loan that to you. Thank you. you. So I'm, I'm really excited about the interview that we have to air today, um, which is with Mr. Chris Gibbons, uh, once of AbleNet and now of Smartbox. Um, and he's got some really fantastic things to say, and I'm going to ignore all of that and bring up a different topic altogether that's, uh, that's still relevant, which is this interesting phenomenon that if you look at the major players in augmentative communication in, in the United States, almost none of them are homegrown, so to speak. You know, we've got Toby out of Sweden. Um, we've got Smartbox out of the UK. Uh, we've got Proloquo to go that's uh, based out of Amsterdam now. Why do you guys think that is? Well, my, I guess my assumption would be that AAC is really a global phenomenon. I mean, I know I've talked to people in uh, different countries who uh, are experiencing the same sort of issues that, that, that we are in the United States about uh, implementation and choosing vocabularies and uh, carryover in different environments. And so I think it's kind of a global thing. Yeah, I agree. Well, and I wonder to what extent funding makes a difference too. Do you think it's easier in those environments? Or is part of the reason why they come here the, the fact that we do have things like Medicare and Medicaid funding? I, I, that's an awesome question. That's something I don't know enough about because working in a public school district, we are, you know, we get the funding and we need them uh, from the from the government. So, right, so I, right. I'm not sure how that funding schemes work in all the different countries. All right. Well, we have um, WebPT coming on for an interview uh, soon. If you're if you're listening to this WebPT, be on be on warning because we're going to ask you that question. But Rachel, of course, you know you're in LA and you're an AAC specialist. What what do you see most often being used by your clients? Well, we're kind of in a really tough situation in Los Angeles because LA Unified only really recommends two apps: um, Go Talk for kind of early communicators and um, proloquo. So it's just, and it's a struggle that I find because I have a private practice and I do a lot of co um, consultations with families and I feel very conflicted because, you know, if I were to recommend a different app, it, the fear is that it's not going to be carried over, you know, and that's such an important part of AAC implementation is that it's integrated into every environment with every caregiver. So if I recommend a system and school refuses to use it um, or, you know, I have to fight to use it for them to use it, but they're just not comfortable with it, that's a huge problem. Right. That's interesting. Right. Rachel, it's such a big school district, yeah? 
Yes, huge. So how, huge. Did, how did they land on just uh, two primary? You know, I'm still kind of learning about Los Angeles and the school systems out here because uh, I came from Pennsylvania and things are completely different <laughs> um, state to state, as you guys know. Um, but my, my best guess is that it is such a huge school district that they felt compelled to kind of simplify, you know, um, which I think is a problem. Obviously, as we know, we do AAC assessments and it's important to figure out which particular system works best for each child. So when you only have two options, um, and of course they have PECs in there as well um, as kind of the first stage, but it just seems like they're trying to create a, um, just a, a cookie cutter template. You know, we start with PECs and then we go to GoTalk and then we go to ProEquo. Um, and it's just not that simple. Well, that progression has never worked historically, you know. Yeah. But I do uh, appreciate the, and I, I know there's some interviews coming up when we have one with a guy named Eric that uh, will be in a future episode. But um, the approach from a large school district might be to be like, let's pick one system that is really good. So let's say ProEquo or Lampwords for Life or something that's really robust and place that as a tier one support. And so what I mean by tier one is that it's a start place. And then with the idea that, that that's going to catch a lot of fish, not going to get all the fish, you know, but it's going to get a lot of people and it gets them up and running, which is better than having like, oh, let's waste uh, four or five months of nothing, you know? Right. right. It's better. It's better to get started than to waste all that time with, with nothing in place. Right. And, yes. and Chris, you made a great point there's so many great apps out there that are robust systems. So it's, it's for me, if a, a school feels comfortable and confident in ProLoquo, then okay, that's fine. We can run with ProLoquo. You know, it does so much that it's, it's possible. Um, so I think it's, it's a balance because the school districts have a huge endeavor in training all of the support personnel to implement these devices. So it's just, from a logistics standpoint, it makes sense the way that it's it's set up. Um, it's just it's hard because as best practice, we know you know that's not that's not right to just have a cookie cutter template. Yeah, yeah it's not it's not one size fits all, but it might be like one size fits most, and then you take it take it from there. You know exactly. Uh, well, yeah. I know uh, Chris. This is part of what you struggle with. I think probably in your daily profession, right? Is uh, you know advocating for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and it's interesting, Rachel, you use that expression, best practice, you know, and I wonder as we continue to evolve, how do those best practices evolve, you know, and getting back to your point, Luke, is at the beginning at a global level, you know, I wonder how, um, how, how you would find different pockets of places, uh, you know, different countries where you'd find these most, more, which apps are most popular. 100%. Well, and I mean, we just spoke to it even regionally, but like uh, in California, you mentioned GoTalk and ProL. Um, up here in Oregon, uh, we see a lot of ProLoquo to go, of course, because uh, Sam Sennett, who helped create it, is local. But we also see a lot of Lamp Word for, Words for Life. We see a lot of Touch Chat. But then you go to the East Coast, right? And you see, you know, a lot more Toby. You see a lot more Speak for Yourself. Um, and, and that, you know, poses a challenge for people that are trying to enter the U.S. industry like uh, Smartbox. You know, they have a product called Grid 3, which actually is truly fantastic. I think it's one of my favorite... Um, um, 
you know, software solutions that's out there. And then they also bundle it with hardware, it supports iGaze. Um, but to, to break in and really get people to, to know what that is, especially with, you know, companies um, competing in that same space like Toby that have, you know, pretty deep pockets, you know, that's tough to do. And then the international picture is completely different, right? So, you know, I've worked for Abbas. I still do, I guess I should disclose, uh, which is Hindi for voice, right? So, you know, we have dominant uh, market share in India and increasing market share in China. And, and when you're in those markets, you don't, you don't hear about any of the other stuff that we're familiar with. Um, so it, it really feels like Western Europe in a lot of ways uh, dictates what's happening in the English language market. And then, uh, you know, we're catching up to some extent, you know, I mean, the only one I can think of that's homegrown is probably LAMP and, and PRC. I, 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 is, am I missing anything? Uh, no, I think those are the two big ones that, uh, that jump out to me. Can you think of any, Rachel? Hmm? I can't. I know, um, yeah, PRC, but I, don't, I can't really think of anyone else. Yeah, speak for yourself, but um, of course, uh, you know, d the development team is outside of the U.S. So, yeah, it's interesting. I'll be really curious to see how these things evolve the next few years. I do, I admit I have some suspicion that, um, you know, you consider how much money companies like Samsung or Apple put into universal design, right, and figuring out the way that people want to interact with touchscreens. And then when we create AAC devices, we sort of ignore all that and say, bah, whatever, you know, let's just do our own thing. And um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, one of those companies really truly figures out universal design and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the best AAC solution is coming, um, you know, from a company that we didn't even expect. It's not even a, yeah, it's not even an AAC company. <laughs> right, exactly. It's just going to be. Well, I think well, you see that. Don't, don't you see that with um, Steve Gleason? you know, and the Microsoft yeah. and, and the, you, you start to see that kind of stuff emerge and you see uh, Microsoft and Apple understanding that accessibility and people with disabilities is a huge market because when you um, start to uh, design your elements for or your products for people with disabilities, the rest of us can use it as well. Yep, right. Exactly. Right. That's I mean, that's the whole concept behind universal design. Right. And I forget who said the quote, but I love that phrase that, um, you know, for for most people, technology makes life easier. But for some, it makes life possible. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and yeah, that's I love that. yeah. I, and, uh, you know, I know at Microsoft, um, what, there's actually an SLP named Mira Shah, who's um, been one of the driving, uh, you know, forces there. So that's um, that's fantastic. Um, anyway, uh, so Dr. Chris Gibbons uh, of Smartbox is their Vice President of Education and Assessment for North America. Um, he's just, you know, really starting the process of, of getting regional representatives in place, setting up funding structures and these things. And um, so I'm really curious uh, to hear um, about his experience and about their products. So without further ado, Dr. Chris Gibbons. So we'll get back to the interview here in a sec. I do want to take a quick break to talk about one thing. So as some of you might have figured out by now, we, we don't really like asking for money. Uh, we've started to run a, a few ads here and there for things that we think are ethically great, like we really like MedBridge, for example, that's why we run their ad. But we figured out a solution that I think actually works pretty well, which is this thing called Patreon. Um, so Patreon works a lot like public radio in that you make a contribution that you know recurs every month 
And based on that, you're not only able to support us, but you also get some pretty cool rewards. For even a dollar a month, what you get, your incredible reward, is our eternal gratitude. Um, we will be very happy to have that. Any little bit helps. We have 17 contributors to the site. We have a strong commitment to evidence-based science, which means that we can't just take on any ad. We can't just take on any contributor. We need to be really careful how we do it. And to do that, we, you know, unfortunately do need a little bit of money now that we have 100,000 people listening to the podcast and even more than that going to the website. Uh, at some point, I can't pay for that all myself. At $5, you get our eternal public gratitude, meaning that you are a connoisseur of science. You will get our extreme happiness, and you'll also be on a special page of sponsors on the site. We'll also give you a special contact email address um, that you're welcome to use anytime for any technical questions that you might have uh, you know, about any of the topics that we cover, whether that's AAC or dysphagia or multiculturalism or you know, play in therapy, whatever that might be. For $10 or more per month, uh, you know, at that point you get access to everything below that, plus a special audio and video feed, uh, which often contains live content, so that's something that only you have access to. And you get a free month's subscription to the Informed SLP, which is the informedslp.com. Highly recommend it. You know, our contributor Meredith and her team do an amazing job there. And then at $20 a month, if you really want to go out there, you get everything we just mentioned. Um, you'll be featured online. You have the open door for questions. You get a shout out on air, um, both on our Sunday live broadcast and on our normal podcast, um, and the same subscription to the Informed SLP. Now we're getting into, you know, the folks that really want to support. So if you really want to really speak to your commitment to science in our field and, you know, the importance of evidence when it comes to treatment, you generous soul, if you were to spend $50 a month, you get everything. And I, Lucas, will call and record your answering machine message with whatever you want it to say. I can do the movie theater voice. Coming soon. We'll return your call. Whatever you need, I'm happy to do it. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, the free month uh, subscription to Informed SLP. And then there's an ultimate option. And I'm, I'm really not expecting many people to do that. But for $500 or more per month, um, you know, if you choose that, obviously you get everything uh, that we already mentioned. But you also get to come and join us as a chair and interviewer for, uh, you know, a podcast. And what you're doing is you're sponsoring um, at least a full month uh, therapy or an augmentative communication device or an endoscopy for a family that maybe can't get those things through insurance or, um, you know, it would take too long for them to get that. So that's the ultimate philanthropic gift there. But we're totally happy. We would be so thrilled with the $1 per month contribution. The $5 per month contribution is, you know, probably less than, you know, I spend daily on coffee, honestly. And, uh, you know, you'll get that recognition on the page. And then anything beyond that, you get the subscription to the informed SLP. Uh, you know, potentially get me to call in and say something ridiculous on your answering machine. Uh, get shouted out on air and um, all kinds of other things. So do us a favor. Check out Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dotspeechscience.org. It'll take you directly to the page and you'll get some more information on all those reward tiers as well as our team, story behind the creation of the website, and um, you know, really just, uh, just a lot of fun stuff. So no matter what, even if that's not in your budget, I know the holidays are coming up. I want you to know that we appreciate you. We're overwhelmed with gratitude at the number of people that have listened to our message and we look forward to what the future will bring. And now back to our regularly scheduled program.
Well, welcome back once again to Talking With Tech. This is Lucas Stuber, joined by Smartbox's Chris Gibbons. How are you, sir? Doing great, thanks very much. How's your day been rolling? Uh, you know, it's good. It's, uh, it's funny because normally or, or frequently when we have a guest, I'll ask how the weather is uh, where, where you are. But um, Chris, uh, I think if I had a real good throw, I might be able to land a rock in your yard. Um, not, not really. It's about 15 miles, something like that. But so yeah, our, our weather's starting to turn. Uh, it, was, it was nice there for a while. but It was nice for a while. And, you know, I went to my, uh, my, my beloved Timbers soccer game last night. You know, the Timbers soccer team, Major League Soccer, they made it to the playoffs, which I know you're not a huge soccer fan, uh, Lucas, which is really why I bring this up. You know, <laughs> good, good, okay. Your ribs are hurt. It gives me a chance to poke them ever so slightly, <laughs> just nudge along. But, um, uh, and I was thinking, wow, you know, we're going to be in a rainstorm. We're going to be. It was a beautiful night, crisp and clear. It felt just like fall. Pumpkin weather is what. Yeah, which is I, this is one of my favorite times of year for sure. Until the until the rain kicks in, but even then, I got to say, and other people out there might sympathize with this. I actually appreciate it on the days sometimes when it rains real hard because it lets me feel not as guilty for the fact that I have to sit in front of my computer all day. <laughs> I'm with you. You know, if it's beautiful outside and I've got eight hours of emails, I'm grumpy. I'm um, with you. Totally, it's raining. totally agree. So, um, so Chris, you and I have known each other for, for some time here by benefit of uh, geographic proximity, which has been great because we, we have a kind of a cool little microculture of AAC out in Portland, right? We have uh, Dr. Melanie Friedokin, of course, up at OHSU, which I know you'd worked there before. Of course, we have Sam Sennett, um, you know, half of the team with ProLocal to go. So we've got a, a, a lot of resources here for someone like me five, six years ago wanting to be a budding AAC clinician. And, um, you know, I really appreciate your help along the way, but you've had a, a really amazing journey. Tell us a little bit about, uh, about yourself and, and why you are here today. Well, you know, I came into assistive technology uh, now about 20 years ago or so, and um, it was really a very different field than it is now. And it's funny because we, uh, the technology has changed so much. Many of the problems are consistent, but our ability to solve a lot of those problems uh, is very different now than it was certainly 20 years ago. And after I graduated with my master's in speech pathology and ended up at Oregon Health Science University doing a fellowship in assistive technology, we were still working mostly with pencil and paper and cutting things out and gluing things together and uh, looking at what was the beginning of a, a line of investigation into um, partners, communication partners, and how we should treat communication partners, which now is so much a part of our everyday clinical vernacular you know, that, uh, that we don't even consider that to be odd anymore. Um, of course, we're going we're gonna to have the communication right. partner. Right, that's great. But anyway, so there's been this, law, this arc of, of change that's occurred. And what that's done is I've sort of followed that along like many of us do in our career from uh, various points uh, in clinical work to working in research to working on the industry side of things, which is where I've landed right now with uh, Smartbox. Um, which is an, an uh, AAC software manufacturer, you know, and we fund a lot of devices, but, you know, our primary goal is to work with software, which I would say just to, just to bookend where I started with this arc of change in the last 20 years, we didn't talk a lot about software 20 years ago, you know, uh, and now that's kind of all we talk about, which is just an interesting place to find ourselves uh, from a, uh, an intervention standpoint and from a technology standpoint. So, right. Um, yeah, no, that's fascinating. That's a really good point. Well, and that, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that I want to ask you about, but that's, that brings up something um, immediate here, which is, 
you know, I, I've only been around for, for six years or, or something like that um, in going to these conferences. And, and even I have been able to pinpoint this sort of amazing ebb and flow sign curve of what happens within the industry of today it's apps, tomorrow it's dedicated devices, tomorrow everybody that you knew from last year isn't back. You know, what, <laughs> what's going on? Um, I guess my question to you is, uh, you know, you know a lot more about, um, I guess, the funding model overall throughout the United States. I mean, it's really easy for me as a clinician to say, like, well, just pick up an iPad and here's the right app. But that doesn't work for a lot of families, right? So how do you see this continuing to play out? I mean, are, are there changes on the horizon, negative, positive? Well, I don't see changes on the horizon. And that's a very interesting place to find my that's – actually, that's a very interesting statement to hear myself say. Uh, as a person who has advocated for funding change aggressively, and by the way, I will continue to do so. So don't take that as an apathetic response. I think that I, I was, I am surprised by the degree of stability in funding um, uh, that I've seen in the last five years uh, more than I expected. So let you know if we can back the clock up sure. from years seven or nine years ago, as this whole idea of mobile technology was coming into the scene, I think we expected a sea change in not only how people use technology and what was made available to them for use and for communication, but also how these things were going to be funded. And I think many of us uh, portended the, the uh, like destruction of, of funding as we know it. Everything was going to fall apart, you know, and there wouldn't be anything left. And we would either lose our industry completely in what would become the ashes left over from uh, this commoditization of equipment that was once special and now everybody kind of uses and therefore made our industry irrelevant. Uh, and I, so, so I think for many of us, that was uh, an expectation or a fear. What I think has happened, and I, I think pleasantly, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be willing to eat my words on this, by the way, in the future, but I, what has happened is that the funding aspect of the equipment has with the benefit of advocacy grassroots advocacy in many cases the funding has stayed fairly consistent we've been able to figure out ways to configure equipment to meet the guidelines for funding now uh, this is a prickly issue uh, for lots of different reasons one is that um, you know I work in industry so it's easy to say well you know, Chris is looking at ways to maintain the industry that he's in, uh, meaning from the industry side, people who, who build equipment, who, who build software for this market. Um, I would like to think it, that, uh, it differently. Uh, and, and the way I'd like to think of it is that what we're trying to do is maintain our industry so that we don't become the ashes of what has become a commoditized um, product landscape. Does that all make sense? First of all, I realize I just said a bunch of sentences in a row. That no, no, I, I think that's great. I want to tie that back to um, just this past week, we had Bill Binko on the show, he, you might know, and he made a, a comment that was very similar. But but twist, I guess spinning a little bit of a different way that, that he believed that the commoditization is probably yes, going to you know, change our market forever, certainly. Um, but that it's a, a net positive, right? That once yes. the, these, all these companies learn how to serve our people, then why, then why are we here? You know, we've been able to steer the ship. That's it. So, so I think what we're, we are in the middle of, um, 
we're in the middle of that sea change, but it's a different kind of sea change than what I was alluding to the expectation might have been 10 years ago. Um, I think what has happened, again, to, for me and many of my colleagues unexpectedly, is that we've broadened the number of people who can be served by the technology. Uh, with that, has, we've received pressure from that as clinicians, as manufacturers, as funders, because all, uh, many more people are being served, which of course is glorious. But then they're saying, well, we want this either to A, be funded, okay, or I've got this thing now because my aunt has an iPad or you know, hardly a household in America these days doesn't have an iPad. We purchased this app, we wanna know how to use it. So then the challenge to us as clinicians is that, first of all, that may not even have been someone who was eligible for our services in the past because we didn't know they existed as a potential client. Now they're asking for it, but there's no structure within which we can easily plug ourselves into serving them professionally. Okay, so that's a pressure. We aren't really set up yet well to, to deal with. Uh, that's a happy problem though, because what it means is that we're identifying people that we can work with that we didn't before, and now we need to figure out how to. So in, in kind of gross right. marketing terms, we would say as clinicians, our reach into the market has expanded. Um, that's not a bad thing because we care about these people. We want to make lives better for people who have trouble communicating with natural speech. Uh, now, on, on sort of the other side of that same coin, uh, the pressure is, well, here's a person that we would have traditionally served by getting a, a you know, dedicated device for that was either right. very expensive or had some huge copay associated with it or whatever. And now they're able to be served by this other thing that they were able to buy off the shelf and load with an app. Well, that's great too. But it again, right. it, it applies pressure both to um, the industry side because we suddenly seem like we're less relevant. And again, I would argue uh, to the first side I mentioned, which is as clinicians, we have to figure out a way to serve these people uh, and make sure that they know how to do what they need to do to make it functional. So these are all, you know, and I don't want to sound uh, you know, overly optimistic, but these are, I think, very happy, if not very large, challenging problems, but they're happy problems to have because we are seeing more people and we can serve more people. Right. With well, and, and I think that's a big part of what you're speaking to, right, is this sort of transition into more of a service model from the yeah. industry side, right, which traditionally has just sort of supplied the tools. Right. Um, you know, I know you've experimented with different ways to do that, and we've talked about different ways to do that. What, uh, you know, when you're in your work with Smartbox, like how do you conceptualize moving these things forward, or is there a good answer yet? Well, there isn't a good answer, but we talk about it all the time, as I'm sure you, you can imagine. Sure. And I think one of the things that, um, you know, just again, through the lens strictly of Smartbox, and Smartbox has been making um, uh, AAC software now for, you know, almost 20 years. So it's like these headline products, like look to learn is a way to teach people to use eye control uh, functionally. Sure. The, the main AAC product we have is called Grid3. It's a software solution. It's not a, it's not this thing that hidden, you know, elves inside some cavern somewhere are, are putting together with hammers and chisels and, and it's, it's using, you know, we use um, uh, really fast tablet computers that are, that are uh, modified to become a speech generating device. But the point of it all is that it's the software. So I'm saying that, and I'm really you know, hitting you over the head with that point to say that 
when, when we look ahead and say, well, what is it that's going to carry forward? What's the thing that's going to be consistent? It's, it's that software piece because right. uh, the equipment is going to become less and less um, necessary to be modified. You know, look what Toby's done. I, our friends at Toby did an awesome job of getting, you know, who would have thought that Microsoft would include an API in their Windows upgrade for uh, eye control? And they have. And it's the, I mean, that is, that is super cool. We were all kind of dancing in our chairs when we heard that news. It's great news. It poses challenges, you know, not to us necessarily personally, but it poses challenges because um, it, again, broadens our reach as clinicians and as people who are true advocates for the people that can use right. it. Right. Well, and I have a, 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 some minor bones to pick with the way that that was rolled out. As you know, I always, I, I'm good at finding bones to pick, but, um, but no, I totally agree. I mean, it elevates the whole industry when we have more tools that are, that are ready set. Now I, I had a conversation recently um, that I really enjoyed talking about centralized versus decentralized natures of large corporations. And this is relevant, I swear. So talking specifically about how one reason Apple has been very successful in accessibility is because they have one team that sort of maintains a constant thread throughout all the different products and, and does this. And Android, it could be argued, is a little bit more of a diaspora in terms of what's supported with accessibility because there are individual teams that handle each one of those things. The, what reminded me of that was was the way that you just conceptualized Smartbox. And I'm not by any means saying that there's you have a plethora of small teams or anything but that you're taking a, a software product that's, that's hardware agnostic, right? Where the traditional model has been to look, to look at the hardware that ostensibly then can be software agnostic. Like, you know, I mean, it seems, it seems like, I don't know if that made sense to people listening. I mean, it's, it's flipping it it's on its head a little bit. Um, yeah, that is actually the, that is, that is absolutely true. And I think that that is a, um, it is by no means revolutionary to think that way, but it is part of the evolution of thinking that I think we have all been um, uh, I, I kind of forced into uh, because there isn't a way what we when you sit down and, and with pencil and paper on a whiteboard as I know so many of us do uh, in this industry and we say well what's the ideal thing if we were gonna if we were gonna map out that ideal solution for as many people as possible you know it obviously has to have inherent flexibility we have people who's who's um, well, people with communication disability are consumers in their own right for the first time in human history. Yeah, so right. Really Perfect. Pivotal, it's a pivotal moment. And they're able to be consumers because of what we have available to us as computing tools now in the world. So in a complementary way, the goal should be to provide them with that same breadth of access, whether it's, you know, the simple answers like email. You know, we had this fight with Medicare in 2014. Email is valid communication. You know, texting is valid communication. Taking a photo with your communication device, you know, to document your trip to the zoo on a field trip is a perfectly valid form of communication. So you should have a camera that's available just like another kid who's allowed to have a, a phone at school. Sure. Or school allows it or whatever. Um, and it shouldn't be restricted by that person's ability to use that machine as a uh, expert user, you know, where they're typing everything out or whatever. Maybe they've only got eight symbols on a page, but one right. of them is the camera button, they push it. My point in saying these specific examples is just that when you think of the solution being a platform whereby the, as you said, the equipment is, is 
we're totally agnostic about the equipment. Equipment act is kind of irrelevant. Right. The, the platform, the software platform itself is flexible enough to accommodate lots of different needs and provide for lots of different avenues of participation, then we're getting somewhere. So right. that, as you said, is, is really an evolution in where we came from, which was, again, back in what we can now hopefully call the dark ages without offending some of our more seasoned colleagues. But, you know, when we were back literally gluing things together and with our soldering tools, that was a very vertical building process. There were borders around what we were making and it did one thing really well. And we were proud of that. Now we flatten all that out and we say, no, it's, it's not about that verticality anymore. It's about the platform. No, that's, that's, that's fantastic. I, I really like the way I, I like that way being conceptualized. It reminds me of a quote from a, a, an old mutual friend, Travis Snyder, right? Who said that um, the goal in our industry shouldn't be a, an alternative system, but a system of alternatives. Yeah, I, 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 I still really like that a lot. Yep. Um, you know, and, and there's, cause there's no reason why a lot of over the shelf hardware and, and things can be used then in application with grid three or, you know, with, uh, you know, any number of other uh, com- competing products that I guess I will just good on the list. But, you know, I've made decisions for, for students. Um, you know, there's a, a 17 year old girl, uh, with, with Rhett, who was one of my very first sort of more complicated, uh, clients. And so of course, you know, they, they become your best friend over time. And, um, and you know, a, a motivation to change her device in a very large sense was just the simple ability to do this. Um, I guess what I would call fourth wall kind of stuff. Like we set her up with a system where she could access the camera. And when she chose a YouTube video, it would actually pop up in, you know, a, a hovering display and these different things, which is just an ADL quality of life thing. I mean, because um, there's a question I think of like when we're doing assistive technology, do we like, are, are we, are we merely providing access to, you know, the medium, the context of instruction, right? Which is, I think where a lot of people can fall into in the school environment. Um, or the context of expressing medical needs, which can happen at the geriatric end, you know, or are we really trying to provide access, you know, in the way the who ICF would conceptualize it, which is correct. That's um, you took the words right out of my mouth. Oh, I said something smart. That is exactly what I wanted to say because that, that, so it has to do with function, functional, functional, uh, pairing of the capacity of the individual, the needs of the individual, the, the, the degree to which we, we want to or can allow that person to participate in the world and what equipment gets them there. And I say loosely meaning software, whatever, the, the stuff, whatever it is that gets them there. And this, I want to build a bridge here between your early question about funding and all this sure. talk about where we see technology going and the rest of it. Because, you know, here I mentioned that I'm surprised that the uh, the, how kind of fortified the boundaries of our funding system have been in the face of all these changes in technology. You know, we're still, it, it, we could just point a finger and say, well, that's government, you know, they can't change or whatever. Well, part of it is that <laughs> it gives us a structure within which we can still operate. So that's good. You know, we can configure a machine to look the way it needs to, to be funded. That's all good. That's good advocacy. Um, what is important though, and as we being people who really love to advocate for this stuff as we start pushing for changes in funding the real changes that are going to be necessary for the future are going to be looking at the speech pathologist as a professional coming in saying these are the four things that make this person's communication functional to meet these specific goals okay 
So, right, okay. uh, and that's no longer, that might not be a smart box, um, you know, grid pad 11, you know, because that really doesn't, that doesn't meet the needs as, as, as well as a, a the particular tablet from Best Buy of certain software, which would include a training software. You're saying there's no one size fits all approach well, here? So that's my, so therein lies the challenge of, of, of where we need to push things. So with all this opportunity that we've been talking about, with this expansion of who we're able to serve, uh, now we say, okay, we're happy there's still funding. Glad that didn't go away. Now, how do we help entities that fund learn that not only is it cost effective, but that it is far more, we have far better patient outcomes when we address these issues using a one size fits the person model. Um, and uh, that we haven't gotten there yet. So I, I wanted to, I wanted to make sure our funding conversation didn't trail off and end without mentioning that uh, very important. No, thank you. Thank you. That's, that's great. And when I like, I like your one person fits the model rather than the one. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. something, I, there's a pithiness there. I can distill. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the questions I, and I think I have asked you this question before, but I always want to ask you is, um, like, what's your tip to a new SLP who wants to learn about, like funding practices like what what are some some things to avoid or to do right but it seems like it's so variable across states and districts and i mean am i am i crazy there or no no you're not you're not well you might be crazy but that's not a crazy question okay i forgot you know me well i mean so if we break it down into the four what i would say are four categories for funding you know there's federal which would be medicare or va funding uh, called TRICARE, these other big, you know, uh, uh, funding entities that are federally structured for those funding systems. And it's easy to find out if the person you're working with has that kind of funding. It's really a matter of making sure you have a good template, which is a sketch. Do not use the words that are on the template. <laughs> Very important. Use your own word. But um, that template, because that's going to dictate how the evaluation should go, how things should be structured for funding. State funding does vary. Different states have different requirements for what the, you know, in Washington state, for instance, there is oftentimes a video accompanying the Medicaid submission for funding. Oh, yes, I've made those. Yep. Yeah, see, I knew you would understand, but in other states, less so. And some states have tremendous flexibility for what they're willing to call assistive technology. And they have started to move down this road that we were referencing earlier of, of, um, of having a little more flexibility in how they define the equipment. Uh, and then that third one is private insurance. Oddly enough, private insurance, who we're often most scared of dealing with, has some of the greatest flexibility also in funding at times, depends on the insurer. And then finally, these tertiary or, or even further down the line funding opportunities, which are like state, you know, telecommunications uh, funding or or private funding, but right, in all right. of those, getting to to your question, which is how do new clinicians figure this out? You know, we really we have a limited pool of ways to easily dive in and get answers. Um, and dare I say that one of the most informed usually rests with the manufacturers because they employ people whose specialty is funding, and most of the time unless you just run into a bad egg. But most of the time, these are people who really want to have the conversation and are willing to help. 
um, whether it's just purely self-serving business or whether it's because they really care. And I would say almost always it's because they really care. We're lucky in this industry. We, we don't have a lot of jerks, you know, uh, even on the business side of things. Um, the, uh, the other way is to immediately join one of the specialty forums like SIG12 uh, with ASHA, which I wouldn't say is a vibrant community, but it has a lot of good information. And yeah, you know, I agree. The SIG12 community, the quiet community, I mean, any of those sorts of things. Um, and in, in my experience, like you said, too, I mean, vendors have always, for me at least, been, been very generous with loaning equipment for trials and, and those sorts of things. Sure. You know, obviously, the, up, the upshot is that they like to sell the equipment, right? So, right. you know. Buyer beware. You know, I mean, it's, it's you just, everyone has an angle and, and, uh, and it's impossible not to when, you know, as clinicians, our angle is advocacy. and. Right making sure that that person gets everything we can possibly get for them. And um, as a person who's now spent several years on the industry side, you know, it's in the industry side, you're looking out for what is it that we need to do? How can we help you? How do we stay in business? Right. You know, sometimes that order gets reversed. So it's just important to, we're all humans, we're all people. We're subject to a lot of the same pressures and forces. And uh, luckily we're also all adults so that we can have an honest conversation about it. And, uh, and we are. Good consumers. Well, you know, <laughs> 30% no, no exceptions. <laughs> so what? So you're. This is exciting because I'm. Uh, we're, we're speaking literally on the eve of Asha. Speaking of a, a group of adults and professionals to go yeah. to go visit. So, um, for those of you who are joining us, maybe from a different background, this is the the this is this is the big one for for speech pathologists. This is the big convention. So I think some fifteen thousand, sixteen thousand people. Yeah. Um, this year, it's in L.A. So what's what's your plan? You're going to be representing Smartbox and getting inundated. See one. Well, I remember one joke. Uh, so there was this person in our industry named Daniel Trifonov, and I don't know to what extent he's he's still around, but um, he ran an, an eye gaze company that's since, since been acquired. Daniel, for listening, I'd love to interview. And um, he he always complained, and he extended this this to you too, Chris. That if you if you and once we release the episode, you can go to the landing page, which is tech.speechscience.org, and you'll see a headshot of Chris, and just realize that there is no way for this man to avoid being seen in a crowd. Right, because you're like six two something, right? You know, Daniel and I always had that problem. We were it was like the towering trees. Even though we aren't, it's not like we're ridiculously tall people, but just it, it's in a in a crowd that always ends up happening. You're right. Yeah, well, it's funny because I'll be like, I wonder if Chris is here, and then I'll look a hundred yards west, and I'm like, hey, there's Chris, which is great. But it's great for me because I'm like five six, so I can just take the tunnels underneath the. Anyway, um, so what is your plan other than avoiding? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will, so I will be there uh, working with Smartbox. I've got a, a, a poster presentation uh, one of the mornings, I think Wednesday or, or Thursday morning on core, core language strategies that are part of uh, Grid3. Cool. So we incorporate a bunch of them. So I'm just going to be talking about those. It's confusing for people to talk or to figure out, you know, which core strategies might best fit a particular client. Of course, there's no right answer. Well, there might be right answer, but they're, it's difficult sometimes to figure out how to come to the, uh, a positive clinic. Right. Um, and then uh, I'm also going to be giving a talk uh, at the end of the day, I think on uh, Friday, which is going to be uh, an access to uh, changing uh, physical access. So it's like with a neurodegenerative disease like ALS, where you might start out using direct selection, selection for something. So I'm going to highlight some and eventually end up using switches or eye control or something of that nature for access. So I'm going to, no, that's, that's fascinating. You, you know, I'm sure I've bounced a student off you a number of times that is degenerative yeah. at a very young age and we've gone that progression. So that's, that's a good talk to, to present. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll be there. Looking forward to seeing you. Okay, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm unavoidable for a different reason. I just try to wear big, loud shirts and, uh, and bounce around. <laughs> well, Chris, I, we could talk for a long time. I want to be uh, respectful of, um, uh, of your time, of course. But please, uh, those of you out there listening, please do reach out to us. So we'd love to hear uh, your questions and your impressions. You can reach us at tech.speechscience.org. Um, and you'll find all of our episodes, ways to contact us, all kinds of fun stuff like um, interactive AAC mock-up boards, free, free materials, that sort of thing. And of course, more interviews like what you just had. Although it's tough to top, I don't know, Mr. Mr. Chris, you're 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 always a pleasure to speak with you. Anytime, Lucas. It's it's uh, it's great, and I look forward to the next time. And until then, I'll see you in a few days in LA. So we know that the end of the year is coming up for everyone, which means that it's that time where you should be maybe worrying a little bit about continuing education credits. So we've been thinking about that ourselves, and we actually were able to line up a pretty great deal with MedBridge. So rather than $425 for a year for their premium subscription, we were actually able to line up $95 a year. So it's a like $300 discount, which is like amazing, right? So if you go to MedBridgeEducation.com, you can put in the promo code Talking with tech and tech is all uppercase. I'm actually not sure if that matters, but tech's all uppercase. Again, promo code talking with tech, and that'll get you the $95 price, which includes a lot of pretty awesome stuff. Like if you're listening to us because you're into AAC, there's a great presentation by John McCarthy out of Ohio University, um, a whole big series about pediatric intervention. I know, Rachel, you found one too. Yeah, I'm really excited. There's one by Laura DeThorne. She's out of the University of Illinois. It's called Eyes on the Prize, Communicative Competence in Children. Um, so I'm just always kind of a big believer in supporting the presumption of competence. So I think that that could be a really good one for That's our great. Well, and there's 365 total SLP courses, so there's a ton there. There's also a lot of stuff that you might encounter with your practice uh, along with AAC, like dysphagia, um, other things. There's some great education. The other thing that's really neat is that because it's the $425 subscription that we're getting for $95, you have access to their whole patient education library, which has a whole bunch of uh, materials that you can hand out to the families that you work with. So we're really excited about this. So go to medbridgeeducation.com, use the promo code TALKINGWITHTECH, and you'll get this uh, really amazing discount. Well, welcome back once again to Talking with Tech. That was a great conversation with Chris Gibbons. I know that we're already running up on our time limit, and I want to respect uh, your time as well. I know not everyone's commute is as long as mine is. But we'd love to hear from you, um, especially we'd love to hear your questions. If there's anything that we can answer on air to help you in your practice or help you with your family, uh, please contact us. Our email is tech at speechscience.org. You also can reach us at tech.speechscience.org where there's a big old flashing contact button as well as show notes for every uh, episode that we do so that we can link out to the products and uh, information about the speakers that we bring on. So once again, thanks so much for your time. This is Lucas Duber, Chris Begay, and Rachel Madel for Talking With Tech. We'll talk to you next week.